Truth Espresso, episode 252. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. there friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host Daniel Minnick for another episode of Truth Espresso. And this is an episode of Truth Espresso Express because I am recording as I am driving to work on a Thursday morning. And I figured that since my wife and I are going to be busy this weekend, we are not only attending a wedding on the weekend as of this recording, but we are kind of involved in it. So there's just not a whole lot of time to do our usual weekend note cramming and recording. And so I figured I would record this week's episode for Monday as a Truth Espresso Express episode while I'm driving to work. And I think it was fitting that since we're going to a wedding, I would look at how the world, how our current culture understands and treats marriage today. What do they think of marriage? So to answer the question for this episode, is marriage outdated? I happened to stumble upon a very interesting contributor article to the Huffington Post by a certain David Wygant, if I, Wygant, Wygant probably, if I'm pronouncing that properly, uh, entitled, Is Marriage an Outdated Tradition? And this was back in 2017. And I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes. So I noticed that the Mr. Wygant, David here, gave a description of himself. Like, what kind of a person is he, or what does he offer as to the authority for writing this particular contrib- contribution article? And he called himself a dating and relationship coach. Well, I figure this would be pretty interesting. Maybe he has some good advice. You know, dating and relationship. Wouldn't that cover marriage? Wouldn't that cover advice on how to maintain a healthy marriage? So I read through this article and I came up with some takeaway points, kind of to walk through and summarize the articles I read it, and then I'll I'll give uh, some responses afterwards to see if what Mr. Wygant says in any way lines up with scripture since he's a dating and relationship coach. So Mr. Wygant talks about marriage as something that was planted in our brains. It was something that was indoctrinated into us as children, kind of like a fantasy. You know, we we grow up with the naivete that if uh, a cartoon or a movie mentions Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, we tend to believe that they exist until we're told otherwise, because as as children with malleable learning brains as sponges, we tend to believe something because we don't understand what makes something believable and what makes it not until we get older. So Mr. Wygant thinks that marriage, the concept of marriage, is something that's kind of 
drilled into us as a child through unrealistic expectations and through cute stories. We're groomed to think this way from various sources like um, Disney movies and family and friends talking about marriage to us, uh, you know, as impressionable children because everyone wants to hope the best for us. In Disney movies, at least the older ones have the idea of two people, a man and a woman, a prince and uh, someone who's not a princess, you know, happening to, like, as long as they could somehow get together, fight all the obstacles together, uh, kill the dragons, as it were, then they, you know, they get married and they live happily ever after. And as children, that's something we love to see, and then, but we're brainwashed into thinking that that something like that's achievable as adults because most of these movies don't really talk about the actual years of being married married it's just getting up to that wedding and then they ride off into the sunset and so according to Mr. Wygant that's what marriage is and that's why it's we're impressionable to believe that so he says that marriage as the idea of spending life with someone is an illusion so in other words he wants to be a Debbie Downer or a, a David Downer in this case and and tell us that we're adults we don't believe in fairy tales anymore so therefore we shouldn't believe that the whole concept of marriage as a lifetime commitment is anything to be realistic about it's merely an illusion oh yeah he said that marriage began in the 1400s when I yeah when I read that I was like wanting to chuckle there marriage began in the 1400s you know it's it's got to be some kind of medieval thing where all fantasies and superstitions and everything dark originated from the dark ages and that was something imposed from tyrants on us to keep someone subjugated whether it's the woman uh, or the man or citizens to the king or something like that that's somehow uh, how we ended up creating this weird institution called marriage oh yeah and because it began in the 1400s according to mr wygan the whole idea of it being till death do you part originated likely at that time because everyone died off in either their 20s or 30s and so till death do you part didn't really mean a whole lot that's why people could say till death do you part it was kind of like are you willing to live out these handful of years with me until we both croak from the bubonic plague <laughs> and so he explains that because we live a lot longer now because life expectancy is to the 80s according to him because we have advances in medicine to help people live longer that therefore by definition the concept of marriage until death do you part that was really only supposed to be for a very short time while we were still young and didn't change a whole lot that now that is by definition antiquated outdated longer lives living until the 80s if people get married in their teen, late teens early 20s or even early 30s that that's outdated that's antiquated by definition because living that many decades with one person with one spouse that makes marriage for life 
almost impossible. He says that we need to redefine marriage. We need to we need to come up with a definition of marriage that suits the times, that suits our advancement as, you know, evolving, growing human beings. That since we live longer, then marriage, by definition, now becomes temporary. Because if you get married in your 20s or maybe even 30s, well, you know, a marriage might last 5 to 10 years or something like that. And so just like, you know, we might need to move on uh, to a different marriage or a different relationship. That's the thinking of this dating and relationship coach. We need to redefine marriage away from one partner for life. Till death do you part is too much of an expectation for two people who you know, maybe have the ability to commit to things, but, you know, all those decades? And he complains about the stigma of divorce, like when you go into a doctor's office and you have to fill out a medical form and it has that annoying question that asks if you're married or single or divorced, then you have to check the box, divorced, and you know, like you know that, okay, the doctor's going to look at it and like, unfortunately with the stigma, say, think, whether he says anything, whether he or she is being nice, there's going to be that stigma like, oh, divorced, what did you do, you know, why couldn't you make it work, you know, and, and he's complaining about that, there, there should be no stigma to divorce, you know. Uh, because this dating and relationship coach seems to think that, you know, seems to be a big supporter of the concept of no-fault divorce because he thinks that marriage really should be reimagined and re redesigned and the allegedly childhood fairy tale concept of marriage for life and riding off to the sunset and they lived happily ever after is a myth and an illusion and that maybe divorce as we know it shouldn't be the tragic end to a childhood expectation it just should just be okay well maybe there's another term for it maybe you know we just end and we just end a temporary relationship and we move on to the next one so can't we get rid of that stigma he also asks what's wrong you know, what's wrong with five or six relationships throughout our long adulthood? Since we now live to like an average of 80 years old, why shouldn't it be normal? He asked, he says, maybe that that's the new normal. Maybe we should have five or six loving relationships. We're serial monogamists or something. Because we live longer and we evolve and we change and we uh, grow throughout our adulthood, each one of these relationships simply grows you from one point to another. Oh yeah, this was kind of funny when I read it, you know, it's like, so your first one might grow you from point A to point B, and then the second one might grow you from point C, the next one might be from, might even be a little longer as you've grown and matured a little 
to grow you from like point D to point G, if I remember correctly, and then the next one from there, you know, as you're growing and evolving, it might uh, grow you from point G to point, I think, M, something like that. So each one grows you to a farther away point than the previous one. And so maybe that's how we should think of marriage and relationships and how we should expect to have five or six throughout our adulthood. And that there's nothing wrong with that. There's no stigma about it. So happily ever after is childhood indoctrination, as he says, it kind of destroys us as adults. Just like we're expecting Santa Claus to bring a present, you know, on Christmas and we find out that's not real. So the idealistic, naive, indoctrinated beliefs of childhood about the happily ever after destroys us as adults. So he tells the reader, this dating and relationship coach instructs the reader, advises the reader that you should redefine marriage to what you want or what works for you. Why should you be forced to stay with someone that you no longer love or hasn't grown with you? Maybe that person has remained stagnant and you have grown. Of course, whatever those terms mean, as if growing as an adult, like, does that mean, does that make you more mature? Does that make you someone who can commit better? I don't know. Whatever it means to Mr. Weigand about growing or remaining stagnant, that seems to be a problem that's somehow in human nature that makes marriage till death do you part, happily ever after, or whatever, a fantasy. Did you know that Striving Fraternity provides speakers and seminars that we would come to your church and disciple your people. We have seminars on the Bible interpretation made easy, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, even on sexual abuse. These are just some of the many things that we could provide for your church. Consider inviting one of our speakers to your church. You can contact us at speaker at strivingforeternity.org. So according to Mr. Weigand, you need to live the life, as I've observed from his article, you need to live the life that you need to live. If a marriage no longer serves you, what's the point of it? He did say something like that. So, I hope that my summary of that article kind of gives you an idea of where Mr. Weigand is coming from, and we're going to think of some kind of, some replies to that, according to a biblical and maybe grown-up understanding of marriage. Maybe to help this dating and relationship coach with his dating and relationship advice that wouldn't plant the seeds for the destruction of someone's marriage. If he's counseling someone about two people about marriage and he's telling them expect this to dissolve in a decade or maybe less how is that really helpful for those people so in reply since Mr. Wigan is a dating and relationship coach and his message is that relationships aren't meant to last let's reply to his idea of when marriage began No, marriage did not begin in the 1440s, I think. If this dating and relationship coach, if this expert on marriage could have done a little more research, he would realize that 
the institution of marriage, especially since he did at some point in the article, if I, re I remember, he, he mentioned, you know, like, according to the Bible and the church and all that, something like that, the expectation of marriage. Well, the last time I checked, the Bible was around before the 1400s, and the Bible has a lot to say about marriage. In fact, the Bible says that marriage began in the Garden of Eden. It began at creation. You see marriage throughout the Bible, and even by the time of Jesus, there was a Jewish culture that certain wedding ceremonies could last up to a week. Jesus did his first public miracle at the marriage at Cana of Galilee. Remember when Jesus had a question about divorce and he explained to the people that Moses granted a bill of divorcement, but from the beginning it was not so. So according to Jesus, marriage wasn't some newer invention according to superstition of the Middle Ages. Marriage has been around and, and from the beginning the design was not the way people were treating it even during his day. He said that marriage from the beginning, it wasn't so to expect the possibility of being granted a bill of divorcement. It wasn't designed for that purpose, even though for the hardness of your hearts. Now that's a way to understand this dating and relationship coaches mentality. Jesus said, for the hardness of your hearts, Moses granted a bill of divorcement, but from the beginning it wasn't so. And Jesus says in one gospel that the so-called exception clause or whatever, like the only legitimate cause for divorce is unfaithfulness. Not that you haven't grown together. Not that someone just stops loving each other because the whole point of marriage is that it's a committed, sacrificial relationship. Not a feeling. Not growing with the times. Not that you evolve as a person, but it's a commitment. Not that a marriage is always happy times. Not that, well, if you fall upon hard times, well then, you know, maybe you might need to find something else that suits you. That's not the way marriage was designed from the beginning. Until death do you part wasn't because we were going to die in our 20s anyway. <laughs> According to the Bible, Adam was married to Eve for likely over 900 years. So, back when marriage was designed by God, that was also back at a time where people lived an order of magnitude longer. <laughs> and you're expected to be married, married that long. That was by design. If you don't understand that the tradition of marriage was designed by the God of the Bible, you will never make sense of the institution as we see with Mr. Weigand here. In fact, I think this is one of those cases where you can explain things presuppositionally. If the God of the Bible doesn't exist, why would humans have ever even invented the concept of marriage in the first place? What's the advantage to people who our greatest perception in a naturalistic, materialistic world is to think about ourselves and not other people? Perhaps anything that might look like altruism toward other people is kind of an extension of self-preservation. Whatever benefits ourselves, because why not think existentially? 
If God doesn't exist, I would contend that humans would have never invented a concept of marriage as a way to satisfy their base desires. Mr. Wigand's view of marriage shows his own misunderstanding of the problems that come with modern-day marriage. And, you know, marriages throughout history. Marriage, according to his thinking, seems to be all about what you get out of it. Do you grow, he asks. Do you still love that person? Have you changed, whatever that means, and has that person changed or grown with you? And if not, he expects that, well, maybe there can be some amicable severing of that relationship and get rid of the stigma of divorce. Five or six relationships throughout your adulthood should be the norm. Now, in a biblical understanding of marriage, it's not like leasing a car. Your spouse is not a product that you shop for. A relationship with a human being should mean that we treat this person as a human being and not as a product. And in fact, marriage, the institution that God designed, means that we treat this human being as a special human being to which we commit. A relationship with a human being in the institution of marriage is not just another experience that we might have throughout our life, like taking an overseas trip or trying skydiving like it's exhilarating for the time that you do it and then you just look back on it and think oh that was fun you know what's the next big adventure that's not the way we treat marriage and other human beings it's not about ourselves the bible says that in marriage a man and a woman become one flesh so the purpose of marriage is not simply about how you can enjoy life more. It's about sacrifice and commitment. It should be about what you offer your spouse. There are perks, of course, as God designed marriage, there are perks that come with the marriage commitment on both sides. But those perks can only come and can only be fully realized and appreciated and long-lasting, as in for a lifetime, as they come with the commitment, with the understanding that marriage is a covenant and a sacrifice on both sides. If both people understand marriage that way, if the man and the woman, the husband and the wife understand marriage that way, then the perks really can be perks. Otherwise, it's almost like profligate spending on a credit card and then suffering the consequences of having to pay the debt afterwards. These perks are not the reason for getting married in the first place. They are the benefits of the covenant of marriage. Now think about this. If young people could sacrifice to join the military, they can endure rigorous training. They possibly will lay down their lives for their country. To people who might not even know them or recognize them, then why can't we even recognize that people should be able to offer the same self-sacrifice to someone who offers mutual love, the most fulfilling institution that there can be, that God has designed marriage? Why is it that people could go through an incredible commitment in the military, but we can't have that same energy and that same commitment to someone else that we love in marriage? 
The fact that many marriages fall apart is a bug, not a feature, because we live in a fallen world. And that's what this dating and relationship coach doesn't understand. The fact that marriages end, the fact that there's death and suffering, the fact that there is selfishness, the fact that people somehow can't figure out a marriage is a bug, not a feature. It's not by design. It's against the design, and it's the battle that we have to fight for each other. Now, whether the divorce is the fault of one spouse or both, or allegedly neither in the case of the supposed no-fault divorce, it, it demonstrates a lack of understanding of God's design for marriage. After all, if we have only one life to live before we turn into worm food, as I'm guessing this guy believes, why not live as selfishly as possible and exploit five or six others in the process? At least, that seems to be Mr. Wigand's marriage advice in a nutshell in this contribution article. As the Apostle Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So, would I like to sit down with this guy? I mean, I don't know how his views might have changed since this 2017 article, but I would imagine if that's his thinking... Trying to convince someone like this of the way marriage should be without a change of heart, without the truth of the gospel, who Jesus Christ is and who the God of the Bible is, would be like what Jesus told his disciples about casting pearls before swine lest they trample them underfoot. The Bible describes marriage this way. As Jesus has purchased us with his own blood, he sacrificed the ultimate. He gave his life for us and he purchased to himself the church. And so we become the body of Christ. And then the Apostle Paul says, as I parked here at work, he says in Ephesians 5 verses 31 through 33, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So that's the Bible's design of marriage because the God of the Bible created it, the institution of marriage. It's a mystery that reflects Christ and the church and how Jesus gave the ultimate self-sacrifice to purchase people who the Bible describes were his enemies. So we, like Christ and the church, marriage is designed to reflect. We should think of it that way. We go into marriage as the institution in life that is commitment and sacrifice. Just as hard times should grow us together, so we should always be growing together. We shouldn't be asking ourselves, have I grown beyond this? Is this just temporary? Is marriage outdated? Is it antiquated? I would have to answer Mr. Wigand's question there with an emphatic no. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. 
If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.